0: Hello hello my friend and welcome to the podcast or welcome back if you are returning. My name is Dana. This is Words That Move Me and I'm jazzed that you are here. This episode is super special to me for so many reasons. We'll get into it. But first, today I'm celebrating a big win. The win I'm celebrating is that I have scheduled myself a vacation. And If you are listening to this on the day of its release, I am on that vacation and loving it. Man, even just talking about it now, I feel relaxed. (laughs) I hope that you are finding time and space to relax as well. On that note, actually, what's your win this week? What's going well in your world? Awesome. Congrats. Stellar job. (laughs) Keep winning. All right, now let's dive in. If you are a person that knows of me through NYCDA, which is the dance convention that I've taught for for years, then you are really in for a treat. If you do not know of me through NYCDA, you are also in for a treat. But if you're a danceling that came up through conventions, and if your convention days were a movie then my guest today is the voice of your movie's trailer. I guarantee it. Today, I am joined by Joe Lantieri, the founder and CEO of NYCDA, one of the first and finest dance conventions out there, if I do say so myself. He is also the executive director and co-owner of Steps on Broadway, one of the largest and most renowned studios in New York City joe is my boss joe is the boss and joe is much much more so buckle up and enjoy this conversation with joe lantieri all right joe lantieri we are finally doing this welcome to the podcast
1: Thank you, Dana Wilson. You know I am honored to be sitting here, and I would be lying to you if I didn't say that I am nervous. But (gasps) I'm excited to do it.
0: Oh, I understand, right? When you commit something to digital foreverness, there can there can kind of be a nerves. Um, You and I can talk though forever, so let's treat it as if we were on a convention weekend that had no classes and we had nowhere to run off to. How interesting would that be, right? (laughs) Um, Sort of, maybe like what's happening now, as a matter of fact, convention weekends with no classes.
1: Right, we're on pause, exactly.
0: Man. Uh, Okay, so it's par for the course on the podcast. All of my guests introduce themselves. Let us know what you want us to know about you.
1: Uh, So my name is Joe Lantieri, as you mentioned, and you did allude to conventions. so let's start there. I am the founder and executive director of the New York City Dance Alliance, I say that with much pride, and the New York City Dance Alliance Foundation. Um, I'm a new co-owner, maybe not so new anymore, co-owner and executive director at the Steps on Broadway. Uh, we also have a sister company for New York City Dance Alliance called On Stage New York I'm the producer and executive director of the Cheetah Rivera Awards. I wear way too many hats in my life, but I
0: cherish and love them all. (gasps) Joe, you forgot to mention in that uh, very illustrious bio that Dance Magazine has also named you one of the most influential people in dance, period. First of all, I don't think about that to mention it it's
1: not like it was at the top of my brain and thought oh i'm not going to say that i just wasn't even thinking about that you've you've done your homework because i
0: i will say that i whatsoever. will say
1: that whatsoever and yeah i am i'm very honored that dance magazine made that distinction so i'm not sure where it came from but i'll take it
0: well if i had to guess i would say it's because you make big big changes you do big business You run big organizations, you do big important work, and I've been inspired by you for as long as I've known you, which I should mention is a long time. I'm not going to say exactly how long because I'm a classy broad, Uh Um, but I, I attended NYCDA as a young kid, and I remember looking up to you on that stage like, wow, that's it, man, and then I... You know, graduated, pursued a career in dance. I remember you called me one day and offered me a position as a faculty member on NYCDA. I wish you could have seen my face. I wish I had a a, a photograph of that moment. Um, a very a very prideful moment for me. And then the last ten, how many years of working together? Um, right on NYCDA. So I should let everybody know that because I'm going to say a lot about how NYCDA is one of the first, definitely the largest and certainly the best convention on the face of the planet. But I am biased, of course, because I call it home. You guys are definitely my family and I'm so proud to be a part of that team. Um, so big businesses, big changes, and and you must be constantly making big decisions. So I wanna start here, because it's something that I personally am really interested in in my life. How do you make decisions?
1: Great question, you know, and if you wanna know the truth, I try desperately not to let the enormity of what I have going on in my life overwhelm me, and I try and go back to the root of it all which often speaks to whether, whether it be the mission or the original vision or what I consider to be the integrity behind it. So if it's something to do with, for instance, NYCDA, and it's interesting we're having this conversation because I often say this now at Steps because I've taken that mentality there. If I'm unsure of what that, how to make that decision, and this is the God's honest truth, the first thing I ask myself is how will this affect the kids how does this and I'm being honest how does this affect the dancer and and I start with that and I look at the impact on the dancer and base the final decision on that piece and I think you know in the convention world or in the dance world in general even in the open class world you know uh, people get into the mindset of counting heads. Mm-hmm. They they look in a room and they count. They and it's. I think it's unintentional. I don't want to think that it's. You know, people intentionally go in there and do that. But they count heads and they think that that's what this is all about. And it's really not. You know, it has nothing to do with that. It really has to do with why is that class? Why is this organization? Why does it exist? And at the end of the day, it really is because you are investing in that group of dancers. And so that's how I make the decision.
0: That that's a a beautiful answer and the beautiful segue actually into what I want to talk about next is You know, you've you've been teaching for a very long time. You've been running these Enterprises for a very long time and I am constantly reminded and I tell people all the time That you do it because you love seeing students succeed Mm -hmm. and I I don't know how else you would be able to still be doing it if you didn't get some kick out of that, but you've seen, I mean, how many students come up through NYCDA over the years?
1: Well, we see 15 to 20,000 a year. Right. In in season 26, you do the math. I mean, (laughs) that's that's crazy. I mean, even for me to say that, it's crazy. And if I had to be really honest, I already had a whole life and a career and saw many dancers and all that before nycda in fact that's that's what sparked me to want to start nycda because i already had a lot going on so you
0: know okay so let's talk about that for a second what are the differences and what are the similarities of running you know your life in a performer sense and your work in the sense of all of these you know these institutions that you've built
1: that's a great question and it's um it's almost challenging a little bit because I I, I feel so far removed from that person, um, which is interesting because I still live my life with the energy like I was when I was 25 years old and doing all of that, uh-huh. but, I will, I, but I do have an answer because I think the answer really is is that you have to know what you offer and you, you have to have the confidence to put it out there. Uh, whether you are standing at an audition or launching a new enterprise or a new business, you really do have to know uh, what you stand for, what your strengths are, and that's what you present. And you can't dwell on the naysayers, you can't dwell on the negative, you can't dwell on the challenges. You chip away at those one day at a time and you just take those baby steps forward.
0: I wish there was an audition for me to go to right now because I feel all puffed up by that. Um, okay, so let's let's talk foundation for a second. So you started the NYCDA Foundation 10 years ago, and how many millions of dollars in scholarships have you awarded since then?
1: So the foundation itself, yes, we started in 2010, we made our first awards in 2011, and to date, we're at about roughly three and a half million dollars, which is a a humbling and daunting number uh, to even utter those words is kind of an amazing thing, but we're at about three and a half million dollars.
0: Okay, well it makes sense to me then that you have developed this reputation for being a person that's very pro-college. But what I wanna say right here and now and loud on a microphone is that you are a person that is pro-success, whether it's college or in another direction. Um I myself, as an example, I don't hold a college degree. Many of your other faculty members don't yet I feel tremendous support and encouragement in my ventures and my work. Um, and I know that you provide that to other students that that don't pursue dance in college. Um, so I just want to give you the floor to talk about how you would encourage somebody who's thinking about the decision, you know, making that Seemingly daunting decision. I say that because (laughs) It wasn't very daunting to me. I just knew but what would you say to people weighing their options between dancing college and jumping right into the workforce?
1: Um, First of all, I I appreciate you making the distinction uh, that we are not necessarily only about college Um, I do think the majority of dancers that I meet Uh, based on where they are themselves at that point in their lives might benefit from continuing with a structured program of some sort that makes them accountable. They have to get out of bed every day at a certain hour. And you know I do think college has its benefits in almost teaching you a a work ethic of what might be expected of you once you do have a job and show up every day and put in an eight hour to 12 hour rehearsal process day in and day out. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't think it's necessary for everyone, and yourself being a perfect example, and we could go down a long list of people that I think are incredibly talented, that I admire tremendously, that did not go to college and have done wonderful, wonderful things. Um, But I do think from a maturity standpoint, a lot of people would benefit from building their community, uh, starting their own network, and investing in themselves in those four years. So, I think that the foundation has taken off from the college standpoint because I think parents like hearing the message of, we are investing in dancers, we, and we are promoting education and supporting the arts. I mean, that really is the trifecta of what our foundation is all about. But I do get often misquoted that Mr. Joe says everybody has to go to college. <laughs> it's really, just not the case. And in fact, we are trying to develop new things. You were in, involved with our Dance Discovery Showcase, which we launched. is one of the one of the silver linings that came out of this whole COVID situation, where we started this mentor program which came with a scholarship, it was supported by the foundation, and that money is not meant to go to college, it's meant to go to training. So we are pro training, we are pro, you're not done at 18, regardless of how much success you may have had enjoyed in the convention competition arena, you are really just beginning. The truth is, you are, that's, your, that, that is your, that's your base, but you're now going to step into a professional setting, which is going to require you to really continue to train and learn so much more. And some of it is just learning in life experience, you know, Mm not all that is in a classroom.
0: Or Um, even, or even on set, you mentioned, uh, building your own calendar, being accountable, being responsible with your time dollars and your dollar dollars, um, networking, all of those things. Yeah. That, that sort of structure is certainly not um, already in place, you know. Outside of a college environment, there's no systematic way of climbing that ladder into being a working person. You just kind of
1: <laughs> close your eyes and jump. To be really honest, Dana. Um I, you know, especially as a teacher and as a teacher at STEPS for all those years and being in the hallway with all those dancers that are waiting to take my class and overhearing conversations. And some of it is about not, you know, why am I not, why I don't, why didn't get a job or why did, you know, all of the things that come with pursuing your career. um, I think for some people, their big plan at graduation is my best friend and I are gonna move to a big city whatever city that might be, and we're going to get an apartment together and we're going to dance. And as great as that might be, that's not entirely a plan of attack. You know, that's not really, that's not enough. That really is not, (laughs) you know, and the other other thing I'm gonna interject just because I said those words, the other misconception is because we are the New York City Dance Alliance is that we expect all of our dancers to move to New York, which is ridiculous. You know, that's absolutely ridiculous. Again, you are a perfect example of that. You know, mm-hmm. uh, what we stand for is a, a standard of excellence and a level of training that you are then supposed to take that and go do whatever you want with it and thrive and flourish and do all of that. But wherever you go, you're going to be held to a standard and your training is going to is going to resonate. And that's why that's that's who we are, but not because we think you have to be in New York. Do it wherever you want to go, wherever, wherever, follow your heart, go find your stage. Those, that, that is a direct quote for me. I use it all the time. Go find your stage.
0: (laughs) I love this quote. And that is another beautiful segue. Joe, you would think we had had a rehearsal. I'll tell you what, Um, (laughs) you're famous for your talks. I hear them ringing in my ears ever because I've been hearing them since I was a kid. And you know, we've been working together for years and years now and they're so meaningful and I'm glad that people are willing to step away from the steps for a second and just give a a strong verbal message, (laughs) like no interpretation, this is what's important to me and any alumni who is listening, anybody that's been uh, on a Dance Alliance weekend who's listening knows exactly the talks that I'm talking about. Um, And in those talks, one of the things you say a lot in addition to following your heart, is to invest in yourself. I would love to know how you invested in you when you were on the come up as a dancer.
1: Um, I think that's a great question. And I will start by saying, um, when I use the words invest in yourself, very little of it has anything to do with finances. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is not, it's not about, you know, spending extra money or college or even college tuition as much as I do think colleges part can be part of that investment, but I think it's really learning to find your path, um, to answer your question about my own journey, uh, both as an individual, as a performer, as a budding teacher, as an entrepreneur, all of those things, my greatest investment in all of those things was surrounding myself with incredible people. And that circle, your own personal family that you develop and that you grow with, that is one of your greatest investments because that, they're there to support you. They're there to support you in the great times and you, all, you share in that celebration, but they're also there to support you in the difficult times. We are living that right now and not to go into a COVID place on this beautiful conversation that we're having, but what a better example, you being part of that family that I have, and you understanding many of the conversations that we've had in the last six months, uh, we couldn't be doing any of this if it wasn't for that. That to me is really the essential investment that we all need to make, Um, especially in our industry, because our industry allows us to get caught up in our head, and get caught up in comparisons, and get caught up in the cattiness. And I work, I, I my whole life have worked very hard to not buy into that, and not to not to go down that path. You know, I you you, you joke about or you mention my speeches, um, my talks. I often, I often char- my characterize myself as being a, a little corny, quite honestly. Um, and I've owned it. I own it. I absolutely own it. Those, those talks I have genuinely come from a heartfelt place. They are a little borderline. The world, is, the world should be sunshine and roses. Um, I consider myself uh, one of the most you know, um, positive. Uh, there is a, there, there's always a rainbow. There's always a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. That's just the way I live my life. And I think for some people that's difficult because they're not that way. And they're, they're the eye, I call them the eye rollers. You know, <laughs> when a hand goes on, a hand goes on a hip and the iris roll back and, and I can't do anything about that. And that's one of those moments where I stay true to myself. I know what I want the moment to be. I know what I want my message to be. I know what I want a kid to feel. Um, and one of the most rewarding things for me is when I, you know, if, if, you know me well enough that in that moment when I'm talking to a room full of the older dancers, that's also the moment where I take a quick break and go change my clothes and come back and we do the whole end of the weekend. I will have dancers run after me. I will have parents run after me, grab me by the arm, tears in the eyes, and just say, thank you for what for whatever, whatever came out of my mouth at that moment. <laughs> Not pre-planned.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and just having even one person reckon- have that effect, then I've done my job then I've
0: done my job. Sort of as a follow-up through those pot of gold glasses, that's what I'm gonna call, I'm sticking to it. What do you see as being um, kind of a hopeful result of the COVID moment on the dance convention world specifically, but maybe broader even dance education in general?
1: Um, I think it's been interesting for me. Now, I'll be honest, I have yet to teach on Zoom. Isn't that interesting? I've not.
0: <gasps> I didn't know that.
1: And part of it is because this whole thing, the whole quick change has been so overwhelming that I have really been wearing my business hat as right. opposed to my dance teacher hat. Um, but the dance teacher in me does has been a part of hundreds of Zoom classes and situations and events and things like that. Um, So I've learned and watched and observed and seen a lot of what goes on. Um, I think, and again, not to sound corny, but I think we are seeing dancers step into an ownership of the situation, uh, definitely an accountability for themselves when they're now alone in a room They are not able to hide behind 30 people in a classroom or 300 people in a ballroom. They they are accountable for their work. They are accountable to show up. And I applaud the dancers even for showing up when I think Zoom burnout and being hours on a device, all of that is real. It is understandable and real. And yet there are many dancers that have embraced what this now is, embraced this reality, and have basically said, I'm not going to let this deter me from following my passion, my dreams, and my training. So I'm going to make the best of it under these difficult circumstances. And I think that characterization for those people, that's what's going to remain. I think in general, I think You know, Zoom and virtual learning has brought the world much closer.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, You know, scheduling for myself, scheduling guests even to teach at Steps or even some of the intensive of the work we're doing. Again, yourself a perfect example. I wouldn't have the opportunity to bring you in at Steps like now because we're in different coasts. But now you can teach a guest class at Steps and you have and it's been great. Um, I don't think that's going to go away. I, I I really think that that you know we have numerous international students that take class at steps, people from around the world uh, travel to New York and take class, and now they 're able to continue to have that feeling from their home
0: so I, I think that that 's going to stay with us I really do that 's awesome, and I hope so to me that really is that it 's massive that the change that 's happened in the last 8 months is tremendous and it's important and I think it needed to happen because the cost of entry to training with top tier professionals was a you had to be in the city where the top tier professionals were b they had to be not working on other projects c you had to have enough money to take the class to actually buy the class package or get in the room and you know big cities like New York and LA are expensive and they're not easy to get to for everybody and i i do believe in the value of in-person exchanges, but I also believe, and I know you're with me on this, that you'll get out of it whatever you put into it. If you are if you are open to having a transformational experience on a Zoom class, you just might. And so now the cost of entry to having those experiences is Wi-Fi, basically, right. um, which is still not everyone, <laughs> but... I do think it's a massive change and I think I think it's awesome.
1: But I want to just piggyback on what you said. You're only going to get out of it what you put into it. And if you can only give 50%, then you can't expect to get 300% back.
0: Yeah, that's massive. Okay. I, I know Joe, the executive director, pretty well. I know Joe, the human being, pretty well. I wish that we grew up together, because I would have loved to be training with you. You mentioned earlier that you still have the energy of a 20-something who's like, you know, grab your coffee and take eight classes and then go to an audition and then go to a, a show that same night. And I just wonder if you could give us a peek into your world, maybe a cross-section of your time at USC, um, a college day, Joe, what did your life look like?
1: Wow. Wow. Uh, that's a fun- <laughs> Um, but a welcome flashback because my days at USC were amazing and uh, I've had the opportunity to go back and visit the campus since the Gloria Kaufman School has happened at USC under Jody Gates and besides the fact that they're doing amazing, amazing things it was surreal for me to walk down the street and find that building which is literally four buildings down from where I used to take class every morning um, I was not a dance major. There was no real dance program at USC at the time. Uh, it was
0: theater, right?
1: I was a theater major, yes, but I was the first year. Uh, John Hausman, who developed an acting program at, at the Juilliard School, left Juilliard and moved to Los Angeles because at the time he was filming the TV series Paper Chase. So this is really now dating me but um, he started the BFA acting theater program that I became a part of. And any uh, movement classes, and I'm saying movement <laughs> because not dance classes per se, were movement classes for actors. But the fact that I lived in LA was my introduction to the Dupre Dance Academy. And you're smiling as an LA girl. That's where I took my first... Dance classes, mm-hmm. and you'll appreciate that the two people that I credit the most for jazz are Carol Connors and Jackie Slight, because they they were my they were my two go to teachers. And I didn't know what I was doing. It was very difficult for me because I looked like I should know what I was doing when I walked in in my jazz pants and my <laughs> formers and my little dance outfit of the time. Um, but the room was filled with the scholarship dancers of the day, who were the best dancers in Los Angeles at the time. And uh, it was extremely intimidating, extremely humbling, but that was after an entire day of acting classes, vo- voice classes, uh, Feldenkrais, movement, all the things that were part of our program, scene study, rehearsals, and then if I could sneak a class in at seven o'clock at night, I would get in my car and drive to Dupres and take class. I mean, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade my time there for anything. But it is funny, again, I just going back to my visiting the campus in the last couple of years since the Gloria Kaufman School, uh, there is a church down the, down the street, four, four buildings down from where Gloria Kaufman is on the USC campus. There is a church. And in the church basement, there is now a coffee shop that has a little outdoor landing. Um, it's got these beautiful iron, uh, iron and glass doors. Well, that's where I took class every morning. And that, and it's still set up very similar now that it's a coffee shop, but it still very much resembles what it looked like when I took class, except that the wall that had my mirrors now has been built over and it's part of where I guess they, their pantry, but the bathrooms are the same. The entrance is the same. It's all exactly the same, but it's, it is a, it's a coffee shop.
0: Oh, uh, so cool. I love this. Um, all right, I, I wanted to go like three different directions a little while ago. Um, I'm, it's hard for me to stay focused because I really, really could talk to you forever. Uh, you talked about setting a high bar, keeping a high bar and having high expectations, delivering at a really high level. And I cannot think of a better example of a high bar than our NYCDA uh, national finale gala night. I have seen, and I am not just saying this, I wanna be clear. I have seen some of my favorite dancing period on our stage at closing night gala, specifically. And I, w- I am prepared to get specific. Um, Jermaine Spivey and Cindy Salgado dancing their duet from Dark Matters. Um, I really cannot wipe Ida Saki's, uh, the year that she won title, I cannot wipe her solo away from my memory. its It is, it's, might be my favorite thing that I've ever seen at NYCDA and I tell her that and she's like no and I'm like yeah Um, I also very distinctly recall um, the ball the ballroom of the Waldorf Astoria Mm -hmm. Danny Tidwell and Melissa Hogue Um, I remember sneaking into that ballroom when they were rehearsing their closing night solos when they were handing over their title and it just brings tears to my eyes to think about all those all of those moments. So I, I know this is like asking a parent to choose their favorite child. <laughs> um, yeah. W- could you share some of the moments that really stand out for you? And
1: Well, you've hit, you've hit quite a few. I mean, I think, I do think Ida Saki was groundbreaking, uh, literally breaking that fourth wall. And I mean, she really, I uh, took on that moment in a, in a different way than anyone else we've ever seen do that. Um, the the I, I will be honest, and I don't mean this to, in, in offense of anyone that has come thereafter, but the days at the Waldorf were a very, very special time. Uh, part of it was just where I was in my life. Part of it was the evolution of what we were doing as a company and watching that success start to happen, that there was a true understanding that we were trying to do something different, and you're exactly right that it it it, um, it manifested itself on that stage, and you saw it. Uh, one of the things, one of the, uh, Melissa Hogue, and I'm being honest, in her day, I had never met anyone like Melissa, and she knows, I've said this publicly before, she knows this to this day. At that point in time, I had never met anyone that was as versatile, as dedicated, as technical, um, just as special as a Melissa Hogue. You would think she was a hip hop dancer. Oh, no, 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 wait, she's got point shoes on. She's a point dancer. Oh, no, no, but she's got tap shoes on. She's a tap dancer. I mean, she was phenomenal in everything that she ever did. And her final solo as a dancer, she came back many times as guests. Those were all beautiful. But I don't know if you remember the Stevie Wonder in a chair. Do you remember this? I don't. Yeah, Michael's choreography. I what? don't. Oh my gosh. I wish I almost should have prepared it to have, we should have shared screen. I should have prepared it for you.
0: And we could get a live feedback of me just like choking on my own air.
1: <laughs> well, you know, audiovisual presentation. Uh, it, was, it was a very, very special, very special moment.
0: Have you shared that on your Instagram throwbacks?
1: Have in the past. I could probably, you know, we're probably due to do go back and find some of those things as well. But that whole that whole era, Melissa, Danny Tidwell, of course, Travis Wall. Uh, the list goes the list goes on and on and on. And there was something really magical about being in that particular space which also in many ways defined New York City. It was the Waldorf Astoria. It was the grand ballroom of the Waldorf Astoria in New York City where presidents speak and things like that. And here we had some of the most talented kids from all across the United States you know, come to perform. It was it was special. Ugh. And it's exciting that you were a part of that and that, that that has remained with you. I mean, it really was very special.
0: Absolutely, Can, cannot forget it, couldn't, wouldn't don't want to ever let's talk about it daily (laughs) um let's talk about talent and kids for a second because you know maybe it's the training maybe it's just there's more exposure i'm seeing more young people dancing now but am i alone in being absolutely jaw on the floor at what young dancers are capable of right now and how are they doing that like what's going on
1: it's amazing i think um you know, with all due respect to all of us, kudos have to go to the local dance studio and what they are doing and the decisions that they're making uh, because obviously they're doing great things, training their dancers at those studios and deserve all of that credit for making that happen. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that the world and the internet and television, which has embraced dance over the last decade, uh, has exposed dancers to so much more. Um, and as much as I'm not a big social media fan, uh, and that's a whole separate, to- a separate topic. <laughs> oh, don't tempt me. <laughs> <laughs> and as much as I do get, I do have my concerns that it, it pushes what we do to not the best place, if I had to be very honest, um, when done right the the level of exposure does have a positive can ha- can have can have a positive effect on what we do and it allows each generation to learn from the generation past and take it to another level and i and i think you're absolutely right what we see young dancers do is phenomenal
0: yeah there's so much to talk about Um, On the subject of social media specifically, though, I did want to pop out. Joe's point of view is very clear. He's seen both sides of the spectrum, both the joy and the pain that can be brought on by literally having a global audience in your pocket at almost all times. Now, to find out where I land on social media, you will definitely want to go check out episode 10, where I really, really unpack um, my views on the socials. Granted, that was before I saw The Social Dilemma. I stand my ground. Enjoy episode 10. Now, I want to back up a little bit, because when I asked Joe how he's invested in himself, he mentioned that... Very rarely was that investment a monetary type of investment, and I wasn't surprised by his answer there, but Joe and I actually went on to talk quite a lot about finances, (laughs) and let me tell you, that is an episode unto itself. Um, So we'll jump back in now to a part of that conversation, but know that future episodes have money moves all over them. I want to talk about money. I want to talk about money words and words. that moved me. But for now, let's get on with it. And let's get right back to Joe.
1: Um, let me share this because we're just talking honestly. And, and, you know, you're, you're, you're delving into my past in some way. Um, I have to give all props, all thanks. Uh, cause I'm pretty good with money. I'm, I have, I have a good, pretty good financial, uh, mindset Mm. Uh, and I think uh, I am a product of my parents Um, and many people don't know this but my parents were Italian immigrants they didn't speak much English whatsoever they never really assimilated to this country Uh, they remained old world uh, to the day they all to to the day they both passed away Um, and they've given me so many incredible gifts one of them being my ridiculous work ethic to a fault Mm-hmm. but one is understanding the value of money and the value of working hard for what you have and then taking pride in that and uh, in that ownership of I I've earned this, you know, mm-hmm. um, and I have, they had that pride because they came with nothing. And um, in my own way as well, I've, I, you know, I've built my businesses from nothing. I, I, you know, just from decisions and I, I invested my own money in making it happen. So I'm right there with you with the financial planning. And I often sit down, we're walk, we've never done it, but we could, we should do it at some point. I have often taken part in financial conversations amongst our people, you know, just in terms of like that next step or what do you do and how do you do it and all of that. So I would I, love that. I guess, but it's an important part of all this. You it's know? so
0: important, uh, you know. And that there is more to it than work hard and save, that's where I'm so curious and excited to learn and to take some next steps. Um, okay, I do want to ask I would be i would feel awful if I didn't. It feels terrible to say to somebody, "What's next for you when their plate is so full <laughs> but i i I guess I'll reframe this question to be what excites you most right now?
1: Good question. What excites me most, very honestly though, is opening a new door and finding yet a new opportunity. uh, Frankly, for the kids, you know, um, I will share this with you and I'm saying this completely off the record, but on the record, that my next uh, desire that I hope to launch as things settle down, and we're going back to the foundation is something more w- to do with diversity and dance scholarships. That we really collectively, as an organization, as an institution, as a, as a country, really support that movement to a greater extent. Um, and I think this is the time, the the the. Society is demanding it. Um, I don't think that we've been far from it ourselves in all the time that we've been doing what we do. Um, so it's not a new message for us, but maybe it's time to be louder. Maybe it's time to use our voices in a different way. Um, and I think creating uh, more scholarships in that diversity mm-hmm. realm is important to me. And have, and have started having some conversations, frankly, in terms of how to pursue that next.
0: I am so glad to hear that. I'm absolutely tickled by it because it's you're right. The world is demanding it. Um, but that's not why. It, you You've mentioned already that actually is your message, has always been your message um, to open doors to people, to encourage greatness, to provide tools to do that. Um, so the message is the same, but the audience is everyone. The audience is truly everyone. It's got to be everyone because if it isn't, who's who's getting to draw the line in the sand or get, hand out the numbers like you're first, you're second, you're third? I I am so excited at the potentials of that, and congratulations is going to be amazing.
1: I do think our our audience has always been everyone, and I think our alumni our past our you know our previous recipients already speak to that but i think to underline it mm-hmm. it's important i think that's the difference i think we we go okay we've have in some ways we've already been doing this but we really want to show you that this is important right now
0: mhm joe is really underlining his statement here. And I want to double, triple, quadruple underline and highlight that message because yes, our society is demanding inclusivity and equity. And yes, it is about damn time. But I think that a lot of businesses and leaders believe that they're already doing a fine job of this. As Joe mentioned, and he's not alone by any means, many companies truly believe their audience is everyone and that their message is for everyone. But as Joe put it, maybe it's time for that message to be a little louder. Maybe it's time to underline it. Maybe it's time to put it front and center. How could you do that in your business? How could you do that in your life? Take a moment to pause and think on that. Like, actually hit pause. Take all the time that you need. And when you're ready, I'll be here, ready to get back into it with Joe. Um, I, I want to talk about routine for a second. Um, because I know that a lot of people listening... Uh, don't only aspire to be incredible performers, but they want to run businesses. They want to become an entrepreneur, to stay as connected to dance and dancers as you have while building out brands and taking existing companies to new levels. What is what is your process? Your hmm, It's hard to break it down to a daily thing because I know it is so much bigger. It's like all of the steps leading up to this are what have helped you to be able to do this. But is there a part of your day or is there a thing that you do that might help people um, not recreate the work that you've worked, but perhaps it's perhaps it's a lesson that you learned that helped you to do what you've done?
1: I'm not sure I would wish that on anyone, frankly, Dana, But. Um... You know, do you want to hear something funny that resonates with that question? Years ago, I was having a conversation with our friend, Andy Blankenbuehler. Uh, this is probably pre-Tony Awards for Andy. And we were discussing that he had just read Twyla Tharp's new book. Creative at Habit. At the time. And I remember him sharing with me that what he took away from that book was that she dedicates two hours a day in a dance studio to do what she does. Mm-hmm. And that two hours, th- and I think that has to be non-judgmental time, just time that you just get in a room and do what you do. Have you ever read The Outlier, that book? Malcolm
0: Glad Smith.
1: <laughs> or go back and read or just read the pieces about the 10,000 hours because he attributes to some of this to literally just the fact that people dedicate this much time to a soul thing and that speaks to success. Mm-hmm. That would speak a little bit. I don't consider myself any more talented, any smarter, any more resourceful, any more gifted. Um, I'm not afraid of the work and if you you ask the question and put it in the under the phrase "routine, my routine very honestly is I get up in the morning, I go right to the coffee pot, I splash water on my face. <laughs> I go right to the coffee pot, pour a cup of coffee, and I come right to this chair, to this is my home office, to this laptop, and I start to work. I look at emails. I, I, um, I'm very hands-on. I look at all the finances, what's coming in, what's going out, where, we, where things are going. That's how I start my day. Um, you, are, you, you are benefiting from me actually stopping and taking a shower today because during <laughs> the time... During this COVID time, I am apt to, I actually have a shirt on. <laughs> sweatpants, which I have on from the bottom down, and just a white v-neck t-shirt, and just go to work. And I like that routine. It serves, it serves me well. And for me personally, I have to learn to carve out different times of my day to get things done. And one of the things... So if we're really going to talk about this, one of the things that I've learned from my own process and everyone's process is going to be different, it's two things. One actually is there are there's no such thing as a priority because at the point that you, for me, this is just for me, at the point that you make something really that much more important, those things on your ever-growing list that are at the bottom of your priorities, you'll, you'll never get to those. They will forever continue to fall off that list because other things continue to get higher and higher on your priorities. So something that I like to do, and I refer to it this way, I like to plant my seeds early in the day. So before I came to you today, I already put out 15 emails out in the world in different directions for different things that I'm hoping by the time we get off of this this call, and we wrap things up today, I will have a handful, half a dozen responses later this afternoon, and I've planted those seeds for my day. I do that every single day. Yeah. For me, it's, it's, um, on Sundays, if I'm home, um, I am a spiritual person. I go to church. Mm -hmm. So if I'm not traveling, um, at this point in my life, I like to go to church. I like to, I like to give time to God. I like to, I like that to center myself that way um and in evening time is entirely about my husband he gets he gets all that time he deserves every moment of that time i don't check my email i don't sit with my cell phone in my lap i don't i don't do any i don't my cell phone doesn't sit by my bedside at night i've already devoted so much time of that from 6 30 in the morning to probably 6 30 7 30 at night so unless we're working on a huge project that is a crunch And then we all have those where you do work around the clock. I'm, I do, I give that, give my business those hours. That's my routine. And Mm -hmm. nighttime is my personal time. So
0: I I love your nod to repetition, to focus, to doing the work as well as setting the boundaries and saying in this time, no work will happen. And I think that might be the the real key to that recipe. Mm. Um, I do want to give a little pushback. It's something I've been thinking about on the subject of this 10,000 hours idea. And I had a conversation with Andy a few days ago. We got really into it. It was our first catch-up in a while. It was awesome. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that the notion of 10,000 hours, that it takes that much time, of which you've already invested 10,000 hours. I'm sure Andy has. Twyla Mm -hmm. Tharp also, especially if she's logging the hours that she says that she is in that book. But if that is the case, if it does require 10,000 hours to really reach a degree of extreme competency or mastery of a thing, then I at 35, am not very motivated to do anything else. If I don't think I'll be great at anything else, then why would I try? Um, I'll answer my own question when I say that. Here's my belief. I believe that the 10,000 hours I am working to invest, if I haven't already, in being an excellent mover, contribute to the 10,000 hours that will make me an excellent teacher, that will make me an excellent movement coach, that will make me an excellent coach, coach, that will make me an excellent parent, that will make me an excellent entrepreneur, that will make me... I think there is a lot more... like. I joke about this and I'm gonna have to put it on a t-shirt at some point. Chloe and I, Chloe was my guest in episode three. And the title of that episode is Dance Lessons Are Life Lessons. And I believe that to be true. I'll say it till I die. (laughs) Joe's like, cosign. Are preaching to the choir
1: here, no doubt.
0: Yes. So what if those 10,000 hours are not kept in individual buckets dance bucket, teacher bucket, theater director bucket, entrepreneur bucket, but what if that's all just one big bucket? And I I think it can be really discouraging to think of a career transition as being, wow, I'm starting back at hour one. You're not starting back at hour one.
1: I agree, I fully agree with you. I mean, we learn, we take all of that. Uh, Why why do so many uh, performers go on to be so successful Further on, it's because they have logged those hours. You know, I will just in, in um, speaking about the book, the outliers, the 10,000 hours is actually just one example of how they talk about how people get to where they are. So it's mm-hmm. not you're mm-hmm. logging in 10,000 hours. Yeah. But I agree with you. I think those 10,000 hours contribute to who you are as a person. Um, it's the it's the aggregate of all that you've done, not strictly just that one field. I agree with you. We're mm-hmm. the same.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, how much oh there is a saying I'm gonna get it wrong Um, hard work
1: beats talent
0: beats talent but what is it
1: talent doesn't work hard I say
0: this is true there's a, a variation on this same sentiment that's like hard work beats talent if talent doesn't work hard but if somebody talented works hard get the hell out of the way. <laughs> and I think those are the people that you attract and I'm so happy to be um, witness to them and among them. And man, I just think the world of you and this world that you've built for all of us dancelings. Um, so with that being said, is there anything else you would like to commit here to digital foreverness today? Uh,
1: you know what? For me, it really is it's piggybacking on what you just said. I, I do believe that we as a community, and I forget dance, uh, first of all, I, I believe strongly that we're a product of our choices. I, I believe that. I think there needs to be ownership in our lives that we've we are we are where we are because of some of the decisions we've made in our past, good or bad, own them, learn from them, move on, and you know. Be where you are, but I, I will underline the need to surround yourself with wonderful people uh, people that are there to support, uplift, uh, nurture, teach you. I, I as a, as a business person, I say all the time, I'm excited to hire new people that are going to teach me something. I love that. You know, I, I love that. So it piggybacks a little bit on what you just said. Um, I feel blessed to have you in my life, frankly. I feel blessed to have all of the NYCDA team, all the different people that. That Really, that I, the paths that I've crossed, I live my life in a way that if, if, you've, if, if I've invested in you in some way along the way, then you will always have that little special place in my heart um, because it comes back. It really, it really does come back. And so this is meaningful. The fact that you even asked me to do this was very meaningful to me. So I, I, I thank you. I do.
0: I thank you. <laughs> Time for you anytime, Dana. You know that. I would. I would make time for you. Thank you. I appreciate it. And I'll be totally transparent and honest. I, from my earliest, you know, in brainstorms of the podcast and guests and topics and things, you've always been on my list and I've reserved you for about this far in my podcast journey. Cause I wanted to get better at doing this before we did this. I was like, I've got to have my setup dialed in. I've got to be a good question asker. I've got to be a good listener. I've got it. I, I, I know you hold a high bar and I love that about you. I see the value of doing that. And I don't think that we underdelivered today with this episode. I think that we overdelivered.
1: You you are incredibly gracious and generous because I, I I live my I live my life with my feet really on the ground. So I do appreciate all your kind words. I really do. And I and I'm grateful to be a part of it. You know, whatever I can do, you know that. So
0: I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Um, perhaps there will even be a small series of NYCDA podcasts. Right. Uh, we, yeah, what a what an incredible group of people doing really incredible work. Thank you again for all of it. <laughs> I'll talk to you soon, Joe.
1: Bye. Thanks so much, Dana. You're the best. Thank you. You're welcome. You're
0: welcome. Well, my friends, how was that? So much inspiration, so much information. I will absolutely be linking to our NYCDA tour schedule, to STEPS itself, to the Scholarship Foundation, and so much more in the show notes of this episode. Please do be sure to check all of that out. I hope that it has instilled in you a sense of confidence and capability, and furthermore, a sense of responsibility to invest in yourself and the people around you. I hope to see you soon at an NYCDA near you. And of course, I hope you keep it funky. Thanks so much for listening. I'll talk to you soon. Thought you were done? No. Now I'm here to remind you that all of the important people, places, and things mentioned in this episode can be found on my website, thedanawilson.com slash podcast. Finally, and most importantly, now you have a way to become a Words That Move Me member. So kickfall change over to patreon.com slash W T M M podcast to learn more and join. Alright, everybody, now I'm really done. Thanks so much for listening. I'll talk to you soon.